Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. Pressure. Uh, my guess is that many of you in this season are experiencing pressure, right? Pressure to get the perfect gift, pressure like having to wait for the perfect gift, um, pressure of can we make all of these different arrangements that we have set up and our, our different plans and pressure to be at this house and pressure some of you, maybe it was like Thanksgiving, we had to pressure to eat two Thanksgiving meals in like three hours, like any of you have those pressures, right? It's a good pressure, right? But it's still a pressure nonetheless. And so this is like a season of just like, there's a lot of pressure, right? I mean, we feel it. Pressure some of you, like how do you hide from your spouse or a child or whoever, like the presents you're getting or what you're buying on Amazon, how they not know and the email and sharing. Like we, I mean, it's just like all these pressures just constantly around our world. And if, if you be honest though, I mean, pressure starts all throughout life, right? I mean, there's pressure like you need to be crawling quick enough. There's pressure like you should be walking already. There's pressure like you should already be talking by now. Right. I mean, then pressure just continues pressure, like come to school, like pressure for some of you, like pressure just to like just to get a grade good enough just to pass for other of you. The pressure is you got a 98, but you're wondering why you missed those two. I mean, there's pressure when it comes to work, right? I mean, like there's pressure, like you've got to perform well enough. You need to have more contacts. You need to have more sales. I mean, you need to be helping more. You need to be more, um, just a better team player. I mean, there's just pressure constantly. You need to build this business. And I mean, you just feel pressure. Some of this pressure may be when you come to family and maybe you had like a great mom or dad that was like some awesome musician or scholar or athlete. And so everybody expects that you're going to be like them. Or maybe you had a sibling that just rocked out like in some area and you're totally unlike them, but everybody expects. And so you've just got this pressure on you all the time to... Or some of you, maybe it's that you lived with someone that was like the golden child, right? And like they do like everything perfect. And you're like always, everybody sees you as the black sheep. I mean, it's just like pressure constantly. There's pressure though. Listen, it just doesn't start like when you come out of the womb pressure. I mean, there's pressure like even to the end, like even in retirement, there's pressure, like pressure, like I got to have enough stuff. Like if we're going to get a boat, we need to like be able to save for that now. If we're going to be able to have that house or a home somewhere that we can travel to, I mean, we better get that. And then there's pressure like... Pressure like when you retire that you need to be working and there's pressure like people that get on you like you should be resting more because after all, aren't you retired? I mean, do you feel the pressure? It's just constant. And I think one of the pressures is that we all feel is we all want to be great. Like we want to rock it out. We want to be the great musician. We want to be the great scholar. We want to be great in the business or in whatever we're doing. We want to be great. Like we just want to have like this great family and our kids to be great, our grandkids to be great. I mean, like we just want greatness. And there's just this constant pressure all through life. And so I think today it's it's significant as we come into Luke chapter 1 and begin to hear about Jesus. That I think two things are standing out to us. One, what is greatness? Like who is actually great? Right? I mean, we have this discussion all the time in our house, like who's the goat, right? And the the boys, I think, are are wising up to know the fact that, that... MJ is the goat, right? It's not LeBron. I know the beam, Kobe. I mean, I know there's guys, some of you, right? I mean, you were back more even behind LeBron or behind MJ. And so, I mean, you've got your own ideas of who actually is the goat, right? But we have these conversations. And I, so what I want you to begin to realize today is how do we define greatness? 
Not culturally or socially, but like biblically. Like what's the Bible used to define what is greatness? And I think if we do that, one will begin to see that there's only one that's truly great. And that's God. And when that happens, listen, if you will come under His greatness today, the pressure that you feel from the culture and socially or from your parents or your family or whatever, or even just self-imposed pressure, it begins to get released because there's finally someone that's great. And then if He's great, then He alone has the authority to define what greatness actually looks like. So let's get after those two things today. And I hope that pressure, even in the midst of it, the greatness of Christ can set us free. Pick up with me, Wood, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. She's now six months along with her baby. And the text picks up and says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man who was, whose name was Joseph. So now we have Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So we have Joseph and Mary and we have the fact that she is a virgin. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Further, verse 30 of Luke 1. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. The Hebrew name of Joshua, right? There's a, it literally means Savior or Deliverer. What's interesting is, is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Matthew tells us something else the angel Gabriel says that Luke doesn't. When he says that you're going to call your name, the name of your child Jesus, Matthew shares with us that angel, that Gabriel also says, for he will save his people from their what? From their sins. So there's like a savior, like his name has significance. That he's a savior, that he's a deliverer, that he is one that is coming to help them, to relieve what you and I cannot get off our shoulders. This sin, this weight of sin and separation from a holy God. And God is sending one who is a savior, a deliverer. Jesus. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's just great moments when like a, a deliverer shows up on the scene. I'll never forget it. I was at the University of Kentucky and it was um, uh, my first year, I guess, actually being there on campus. And it was a UK L football game. And I'll never forget. We we're walking through the parking lot. We had walked over from the towers and and we were trucking across and we'd come into Commonwealth Stadium's parking lot and we were headed toward the game. And this massive dude who's a L fan is walking through the parking lot barking, right? And if you know me very well, I don't do well with barking, right? Somebody barks, I'm coming back at it. I don't care how big you are, right? That's just maybe part of being a little brother. I don't know, but it's just kind of the way I'm wired. And so this guy's just barking about the Cardinals and how they're going to just, just destroy Kentucky. And so we're coming toward this dude. He's, he's a beast of a man, right? And I look at him and I just say, I'm like, dude, we'll see, right? And I'll never forget it. He like kind of turns around and he's like, we'll see what? <laughs> he's like, we'll see like in the stadium? Are you saying like, we'll see like right here and now? And I was like, oh. And then one of my buddies, who's not a super huge dude, but he's just like one of those farm boys that's just tough. He just steps right in front of me. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. He's like, man, I think it's all good. You probably just need to go on. We'll just keep on. Right? And the whole time, he never stops, right? So I kind of turn my back, start walking away. My buddy's just walking like that. 
it was one of those moments like you're glad that you have a deliver, right? You ever been there? You're like, thank you, right? Like some of you, like you, maybe you're like me, you just, you run your trap a little too much or you just bite off more than you can chew. So listen, it's good for those moments, right? Some of you ever had a financial need and somebody just shows up and maybe just helps you out or like somehow like you get back and your tax returns are actually good this year. I mean, like there's just times when like good news comes, a good deliverance. You ever been there like in the midst of exam and like you have no clue what the answer is and all of a sudden like it's something hits you and like, oh. That's it, right? I mean, it's just like good moves, like to be delivered, to have like some help. I mean, you ever been there, maybe, and some of you are there, and you're trying to find out what the diagnosis and the treatment plan needs to be, and they're finally, after tests and different physicians, you finally come to a place where someone provides some clarity, and you're like, thank you. Right. Like there's there's just this need in life. Right. We feel the pressure. We need someone to save us. We need a deliverer. And the Bible is clear. That person is Jesus. So look what happens here as we begin to think of hope. I mean, the reality is the people of Israel this day and time, they need a savior. They need a deliverer. Right, I mean, we've heard, and Brother Todd read from the prophet Isaiah again, you're somewhere in the period of 600 plus BC as the prophet Isaiah writes, and there's this calling that there's going to be a savior, a deliverer come. There's going to be an Emmanuel. There's going to be one who is going to deliver his people. And, but the people of Israel waiting. Right, I mean, they've been waiting for a long time now for this to happen. And listen, the people of Israel, they're called, and the prophets are clear, Isaiah, Jeremiah, others, that the people of Israel are called to be a light to the nations. Like, they're called to take what God has made known to them, His grace, His mercy, His law that He's given them, the love that they are called to love God and love others. They're called to take that to the nations. But constantly throughout this Old Testament, if you will read it, they constantly, just like you and I, don't get it right. And so they're waiting. And what oftentimes happens in the midst of that is that God sends in judgment. And right now the judgment is the people of Rome. And the Romans rule over everything. And so here they are in that day and time trying to figure out what are we going to do as we wait for this this Savior, right? This Deliverer that's going to come. And you can realize now why the confusion was with Jesus, right? I mean, they expect a Deliverer that's going to come is going to eliminate all pressure. Like, he's going to take, like, he's not going to allow Rome to keep their foot on the throat of the people of Israel. He's going to just literally throw off all oppression. And Jesus constantly is battling that. Even the disciples don't get it. Even after Jesus has been raised from the dead in Acts chapter 1, about, uh, I want to say it's verse 5 or so, but somewhere right in there, they ask Jesus this question. Are you now going to restore Israel? Like, is it finally time? And he's like, guys, you still don't get it. Like, but there's this hope, like, is there one that's going to deliver us? And so guess what happens? It's interesting. In this day and time, as they wait for this Savior deliverer, a group of people rose up on the scene and known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, listen, they were, they were literally tenacious about obeying the law. And they were so tenacious about obeying this Old Testament law, this law of Moses, that they began to create a, literally, as if you could imagine, this is the law on the podium, they would create like a fence. And then they would create like a bigger fence. And then like a bigger fence. And like, so it was so close that you wouldn't even get close to the law. But here's what that did. It created not only law pressure from the law, but pressure like from the fence and this fence and this fence. And like the people were under such a weight of pressure. Like who can keep up with all these rules? Some of you may feel that way about Christianity. Like there's just like rule after rule. Like you shouldn't listen to this. You shouldn't watch that. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't. I mean, like you feel like that. Like Christianity is just become this law all around Jesus, like all around the cross. Like this is what it looks like. And what I want you to see today is there's good news that there's one that's come to set us free from that. 
to have a true relationship with Him. That He can begin to define what us, with, to us and with us what it looks like to truly be great. So listen to what happens here. Pick up me wood. Getting back here in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. And this, this statement, he will be what? He will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. Now, it's interesting that the fact that Jesus is known to be great, because if we look at the context of what Luke is doing, there's somebody else that's been called great already. Another child. Listen to this. Look back on me, Wood. Verse, verse 15 in the same chapter of Luke chapter 1. Speaking of John the Baptist, as the angel talks to him, Gabriel speaks to his father, Zechariah, there in the temple. He says, for, listen about John the Baptist, he will be what? He will be great, right? So again, we heard that Jesus, right, he will be great in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. But we've already heard from Luke, verse 15, that John the Baptist will be great. But look what happens here. There's a qualifier with John. It's interesting. He will be great before the Lord. Jesus is just saying that he will be great, right, and will be called the Son of the Most High. There's no qualifier. Like, his greatness is untold. Like, his greatness is unfathomable. John is great, but his greatness is only understood in relationship to Jesus. This is huge. Your greatness will only rightly ever be understood in relationship with Jesus. Anytime you step away from that and try to establish your own greatness, you're going to miss it. So even John the Baptist, who Jesus said there was no one born greater of a woman than John, his greatness was always established and rooted in relationship to Jesus. That's a clue of where we're headed with what greatness truly looks like. So Jesus is looking, he says, for he will be great, right? And will be called the son of the most high. It's interesting that further in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, right? The shepherds are out in the field. You've been singing about this morning. Hark the herald, the angels sing, right? I mean, this, this anthem of chorus, right? And the angel shows up to these shepherds who are sitting out in the fields, keeping their sheep, right? Watching over them. And this, the angel says to them, for, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Christ the Lord. He says, listen, I want you to have a clue of what this greatness truly looks like here with Jesus. It's the fact that he is both Savior and he is Lord. Called the Christ, the Messiah. I think it's important that Jesus is known early on in the Gospel of Luke as Lord. Because the Lord is doing some significant things. In fact, if you'll take some time, and I want to encourage you maybe to do this, just read through Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and look for every usage of the word Lord or God. I found like 30-some plus, there's about 132 verses, so literally one out of four verses, you're hearing something that God or the Lord is doing. But Jesus, again, is called Lord, and so what does greatness look like? What does the Lord do that's truly great, right? If the Lord alone is great, then what does He do? And so look with me if you would. Let's just walk through it just for a moment. First, the Lord is the giver of the holy word of God. Look what it says here. Verse 6 of Luke chapter 1. Speaking of Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes. Note what it says here, of the Lord. So we have the command statutes. This is a God who gives his holy word. 
Secondly, look what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. What it means for the Lord to be great is the fact that, listen, He is in charge of angels. Angels do His bidding. Look what it says, verse 11 of Luke 1. And there appeared to Him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Further, verse 19, the angel answered and says back to Zechariah the priest, right? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was what? I was sent. So there's a God who commands, right? That I stand in the presence of God and God's the one that sends me. The Lord is the one who has the command over further. Look at how great this, what the greatness is defined as, is the Lord. The Lord alone has the power to cause the old or the barren womb to conceive. Elizabeth says, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me and to take away my reproach among people. It says, listen, the Lord has done a great thing for Elizabeth, Right? The Lord has done it. He is the one that's opened our womb. It was seemingly well past time. It's kind of like a, an Abraham and Sarah type thing, right? I mean, like it seemed like hopeless beyond hopeless that this could change. And yet God has done that. That's how great the Lord is. That's how His greatness is. Further, verse 28. And He came to her and said, Greetings, right? The angel now shows up to Mary. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is what? The Lord is with you. So the Lord being with her is an indication that, listen, only God can show this kind of mercy and grace. And He's going to show some power. Some power, why? Because he's going to put within the virgin a child. Further, verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her again. So the Lord is the only one that's truly worthy of service, right? I mean, he's the ultimate one that we are to serve. Because why? He's alone is that great. Further with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Again, God alone is worthy of our worship. Why? Because He alone is great. Further, Luke 1 and 49. For He who is mighty, the He again is Mary speaking about the Lord here. Again, back in verse 46. So, for He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. So again, we're seeing that only God, only the Lord can do truly great things. Right? Again, you hear that word great. Right? You see it. Great. Only the Lord can do that. Further, verse 58. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoice with her. So again, the Lord now is the one who can show great mercy. Further, Luke chapter 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Which again, look what he says here. The Lord has made known to us. So again, the Lord desires to make known the message of his coming son to the least, the last, the lost. Right? These are shepherds. Further and last Luke chapter 2, verse 22, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, speaking of Jesus. So Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem. And that's what they do with Jesus. They present him to who? To the Lord. Right? I mean, he's the only one that's really worthy of the offering of our lives. So when we begin to hear that Jesus is going to be great, we need to have some type of context of what does Luke even mean by the fact that this child is great? And what you see all throughout Luke 1 and 2 is that God alone is great. God alone is the one that has the power to cause a barren womb to, to produce a child. God alone is so great that He can cause a virgin to have a child, the Holy Son of God. God alone is so great, right, that He commands even angels and they do His work, right? I mean, God alone is that great and worthy of our service and our praise and our worship. And so I think it begins to give us some clarity why we feel such great pressure right because oftentimes we are trying to be great and god alone is great 
Like no one else is great but God. And, and the moment you try to be great like he's great, you're going to utterly fail and you're going to utterly feel the pressure of all the things of this world coming against you, right? Because you're trying to do something which you can never do. God alone is great. There's no one else that's great. I mean, John the Baptist is great, but he's only great in relation to Jesus. So I listen, as you feel the pressure for whatever areas of your life, you've got to seek him. You've got to come in relationship to him. You've got to come in submission to say, God, you alone are great. I'm not great, God. You are great. And listen, I hope and pray it moves you to a place like it married is where she just says, hey, I'm the Lord's servant and I magnify the Lord. Like, God, here I am, Lord. You alone are great. You alone are the only savior. Jesus, you're the only savior and deliverer. That's the only person who can do that. Here's my life. Right? And this, this greatness begins to move us, right? The pressure comes off of us, right? I mean, no longer am I trying to be good enough or like trying to do enough right things or trying to perform well enough. Why? Because he's the one that's done it. The pressure now is not on me. It's in fact on him. He alone is the one that can keep the law perfectly. He alone is the one that can have the perfect thoughts, the perfect words. I'm going to totally blow it. I'm going to totally mess it up, right? Not only in my life, but like even when I try to do my best, I still don't get it right. But there's one who does. There's one that's the perfect spouse, right? The perfect father. Right? I mean, there's one that is the perfect child. Right? There's the one that's like the perfect, right? In everything that he does. And listen, let's just be honest and own up and say, that's not me. I'm not the perfect parent. I'm not the perfect child. I'm not the perfect friend. I'm not the perfect spouse. I'm not the perfect, but I know who is. And so I come and I submit myself to him. He's my greatness. So if God alone is great, right? And I think it's undeniable from Luke 1 and 2 that God alone is great. Jesus alone is great. Then let's let Jesus define greatness. Right? I mean, because I think maybe you might be here today and saying, well, maybe my life, my life is pointless, right? I mean, is there no longer a need to strive for anything? If like God alone is great and I'm a loser, then maybe I should just like pack it up and go in, right? Like, why am I even here today? And so let's, look, here's what I want to do. I want you to pump the brakes on that. But I want you to allow God to define greatness for you. That your life now begins to find real significance and you get to, stri- to strive after true greatness rather than cultural greatness or social greatness or even what your family defines as greatness or what you think is greatness. Let's let the great one define greatness. Are you with me? And let's let that just say, whoa, I need that. Let's let the great one define greatness. The truth is that greatness is hard to handle. But look up if you would here a little later in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse 44. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says this statement again, Luke 9 and 44. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He says, listen, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I'm going to be in submission, right? I mean, if you could see, I don't know if you could see it up here behind us, but Luke 22 and 42, right? When Jesus is there praying in the garden of the Father, right? It's, the time has come and he prays to the Father in the garden. He says, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Jesus is there. He says, listen, I'm going to submit to my Father and my Father is going to allow me to be handed over to the religious leaders and the Roman authorities and they're going to crucify and put me on the cross. And look what happens here, verse 45. 
But they, speaking of the disciples who have walked with Jesus, they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. Further, look what happens. This is very, very significant, I think. Verse 46 of Luke 9. An argument arose among them as to which of them was what? Which of them was the greatest? So don't be surprised, right? These are guys that are walking with Jesus for years, right? I mean, this is moving more toward the end all the time. They've seen the miracles. They've heard him preach. They've seen him like, I mean, just raising the dead. He's multiplied like he takes that Hebrew happy meal and feeds 5,000 people with it. I mean, like, I mean, listen, they have seen him do great things. And yet their hearts. Look at it. Look at it says. Verse 47. This is significant. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their what? Of their hearts. Our hearts are, defi- are desiring greatness. And our greatness, listen, our greatness of our hearts most of the time is not thy will be done. But it's, as our boys often, I don't know, Emily, do you remember which one a boy it was would often pray? Lord, we, I think it was Judah, right? He's, he's, he's four now. But he would pray and he would get a little bit wrong. But it was, it was, it was right, right, in the sense that it's, it's the way we all think. He would, he would try to work through his prayers oftentimes. And he would say something like this. God, we just pray that our will be done. Right? He was trying to get your will be done, but he just kept confusing it, right? And it was, it, we're like, buddy, listen, it's, it's not about our will, it's his, but I mean, every time, just come back. God, we just pray that, that our will will be done, Lord. I was like, dude, God's like, bro, you pray like that so often. Now we get the language right. Come on, we're good church folks. We know the right verbiage, thy will be done. But really what I mean, like, God, I want my will to be done. And here's the disciples hearing this. Again, remember, look what the context is. Again, this statement of greatness, right? And Jesus is going to be the one that's great. So let's let Jesus right now in this moment define what true greatness is. And it's counter to the hearts even of this very disciples. So don't be shocked and don't run away from this and cower back when you realize that it's not in your heart for the greatness that he thinks of greatness either. This is a work of grace, beloved, and it's going to desire or call each of us to repent. To say, God, I have not looked at this right. I have not approached life through this lens. Look what it says. But Jesus, knowing the reason of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to him, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Look what he says. This is significant. For he who is least. He who is least. He who is least among you all is the one who is what? Great. Leastness defines greatness. That is not the kingdom of this world. That is not the family that you likely grew up in. That is not the internal pressure that you feel. We do not think of leastness as greatness. We think of leastness as weakness. Like if, like if you approach your marriage as the least, then you're, I mean, you're like, man, my spouse is going to run all over me. Right, I mean, like, kiddos, if you approach, like, your submission to your parents as, like, you actually being the least and under their rule and authority, 
I mean, you're going to feel like, man, my parents are taking advantage of me. They don't care about me. They're not good to me. They don't ever let me get my way. Why do they not let me do this? Like, I mean, we hear those things and think leastness is a way to get run over in this world. It may be worse than getting run over. It may lead to a place like the cross. But here's Jesus in the midst of the disciples arguing about greatness. This is the great one defining greatness again. The great one defining greatness. He says greatness is actually leastness. Greatness is actually leastness, right? I mean, listen, I mean, we think of greatness as putting a post out that we get two or three hundred likes or however many likes or your Instagram thing. Like, I mean, it just everybody's like chatting it up like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I mean, we think of that as greatness, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, most of the time when we think about greatness, we think about Keldon Johnson hitting the runner at half court. We don't think about maybe the manager at the end of the bench that just serves water and gives the towels and wipes the floor up. We don't usually see those people because that's not greatness in our eyes right i mean we usually think of greatness let's be honest as a person behind the pulpit we don't think about greatness as being the one that's serving the background that no one sees who's working and planning or driving buses or meeting with people and after hours or helping people get food and no one else sees that no one sees usually that widow or that shut-in who is laboring in prayer no one sees that that's not recognized on the stage and so we don't think of that person as very great but jesus reminded us even about that little widow right i mean she brought that money in she didn't put in anything like i mean barely even a penny and who did jesus say put in the most i wonder who put the most in our offering plate today not the biggest dollar amount but like the most of their heart like the most of them stepped into this plate that's leastness like god it's not about me it's about you and it's about what your son's done and because you are great you define greatness not the culture not the world not what my family thinks you define greatness. I wrote this down and maybe the greatest person at your school might be the humble servant sweeping the floor. The greatness right at your job might not be the person doing the biggest waves or doing that, but it's just the person humbly serving Christ. And that may mean at times you get looked over and it doesn't make sense as to why. You may be more qualified. You may have been there longer. None of it makes any sense unless you come and say, God, listen, I realize that you're the great one and you define greatness. And I humbly submit and say, God, if this is the job and that's where you want me, then I got to realize that you didn't want me in those other positions because if you did, you would have put me there. But I mean, that becomes leastness, right? I mean, because let's be honest, none of us like feeling overlooked None of us like not being recognized. I mean, those are hard moments. But Jesus, maybe he would just look at you at the end of the day and say, listen, I know it appeared like you were the least in your family. I know that everybody else was so much smarter. I know there's so much. But look at the way in which you just serve me. That's greatness in my kingdom. This is a paradigm shift. But listen, we must allow the great one to define greatness if we are ever to come out from under the pressure we are under. I think it's at least interesting that Luke chapter 22 records a similar argument and a struggle for the disciples. Look what it says, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be what? 
regarded as the greatest. You know what that reminds me? Fighting the desire to be the greatest is not a one-time pull out your sword, unsheath it, and slay the dragon, and you're good for the remainder of your days. My guess is, for most all of us, fighting the desire to be the greatest is a daily call to die. I mean, you can, you can, like in one moment, like you can serve your spouse, but like, let's be honest, when they don't get it right after a couple days or a couple minutes, alright, I struggle. Right, I mean, like we just flip back and we're like immediately on the attack and like I can't believe you didn't help with that. I can't believe you would have gone to Walmart or the grocery and you forgot to get that off. I mean, like, come on. Right, I mean, you ever like just feel that? Like, I mean, listen, they're struggling with continuing to want to be the greatest. They've heard the truth, so it's not that they haven't heard the sermons. It's just like, God, you got to do a work in the heart. And so look what Jesus does. And he says to them, verse 25 of Luke 22. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Just listen, everybody wants the position of power. Everybody wants that. And this is absolutely crucial. Listen to Jesus just maybe whisper this into your life this morning. Verse 26 of Luke 22. But not so with you. Did you hear it? It's like it's a, it's a whisper because it's so counter to your culture. Everybody in the culture wants a position of power and prominence. And Jesus whispers to his disciples, but not so with you. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest. If you want to understand how you, again, this is the great one, right? He will be called great. Luke chapter 1, verse 32. So let's look again at him at greatness all throughout his ministry. Great, 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 great. And now he comes and says, I want you guys to know what my perspective on greatness is. So you don't arrive before me at the end of your death and say, oh God, if I'd only known that was what greatness was, I would not have lived my life this way. So you're hearing it today. This is calling you to God's word today to prepare you for your eternal judgment. Rather, let the greatest among you at Greensburg Baptist be as the youngest. The youngest in that culture, right, were the ones that you could see it in Job and his friends. The youngest one waits to speak the longest. The youngest are usually the ones that they get the scraps that's left over. I mean, some of you are younger brothers or sisters. Did you always get the new outfits? What were you usually wearing? Hand-me-downs. Yes. Don't we love those? Right? Hand-me-downs. Right? I mean, I had two older brothers just like, hand me down. Right? I mean, like, couldn't get a new bike, right? Got to do their bike, right? I mean, like, come on, let's... So he takes, listen, he calls for meekness. I'm still bitter about it, right? I'm still struggling with this. You hear it? Like, in my preaching right there, I'm like, dude, that's so true. I'm still struggling, right? Right? I'm not only a minister, I'm also a client. I mean, listen, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And here's leadership. Oh, this is leader. Everybody in the culture has a, has a thought on leadership. Oh, they've got the wise wisdom. They need to backtrack about 2,000 years to hear the great one speaking on leadership and the leader as one who what? Serves. Wow. What if this church, what if this church was full of leaders who served and acted like the youngest? What if in your relationships you were one who served and acted like the youngest? Any of you here to struggle with some pride and the moment somebody starts speaking, you can't wait to open your mouth and tell them exactly what the answer is? 
Some of you probably have been treating your spouse that way. Some of you as kiddos, you like interrupt your parents anytime they try to speak because there's no way they could understand your life, your culture. So you immediately interrupt them. Right? I mean, I, str- I struggle with this, right? It's an, it's an indication of my pride. Like, I mean, you come to me and I immediately, I think of a Bible verse or something. I'm going to give it to you. And oftentimes you just say, dude, if you just shut your mouth for a minute and just listen. Would you just listen to me today? I mean, what would your marriage look differently if you just listened today? If you just became the least? If you just served? I mean, if you just allowed the great one to define greatness? And if you allowed his greatness to become your greatness? That you've not got it right enough, but he got it right for you? we got to close, so let's just, here it is. How does Jesus know this is true? Look what it says, verse 27, 4. For who is the greater one who reclines at the table or one who serves. Who's greater? The waiter or the people at the restaurant? The people at the restaurant, right? I mean, the people that are eating, those are the people that are important. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Jesus knows the right answer. And look at it says, but I am the great I am of the bush. Speaking to Moses answers, but I am among you as the one who what? Serves. And I've got all kinds of application. I feel like time's come, so. Are you after being the great one? Or are you allowing Him to be the great one and let Him define greatness for you? Do you recognize that Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, become the least? Submit yourself. Wherever I have you as a job, whatever marriage you're in, I know it may not be well right now, but I want you to know that's where I have you. Right? I mean, I, I know you may not think that you're in the right spot on that team or whatever you're doing, right? And that music, I mean, you should be another chair up or you should be close to the mic or they ought to have you on the guitar already. I mean, like, you, 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 whatever. Listen, could you just baby today just say, God, I know that you're so great and because you're so great, I'm going to serve humbly where I am. And I know because of your greatness, if you want me somewhere else, then you'll open that door when that time comes to. So are you great? Or would you come to realize that you are in need of one by the name Jesus, Savior, Deliverer? His greatness was in the fact that he became a man, lived a sinless life, and then died on the cross as if he lived yours. That's what serving, that's what leading looks like. He laid down his life for you. Setting you and I an example of how we are to live ours, to lay our lives down and saying, God, you are the boss. You are my CEO. You are my master. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Here I am. I surrender to you. Let the great one define greatness. And that pressure that you and I so often feel, he will take that. He will take it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Christ the King. Father, I pray today that you would, again, just help us realize, God, that we're like the disciples. We struggle, Lord. We constantly argue. We fight internally with ourselves about what greatness is or that we 
we know that we're greater than that person or why haven't they rec- I mean, God, I, I have so many struggles here today. So Lord, I just, I just confess to you that I need you to change my heart, to give me a desire to become the least. Give me a desire, God, because it is not of my DNA to want to become a servant. Lord, I want to be recognized. I want to be praised. I want to be liked. I want to be in the most important positions. Lord, I want, I want all of that, God. I, I confess it before you. So please, God, would you change me? Would you change these people? Lord, I don't know what areas they struggle in, but Lord, I pray you would change their marriages and their homes. That they would become the least. That they would lay their lives down. Father, thank you that you are great. And so we don't have to strive after that. We don't have to chase that carrot the rest of our days. We just submit our lives, God, to the great one. Thank you, Lord, for who you are in Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I encourage you, if you're chasing the carrot, been chasing it for long, we just come and bow today. Maybe the pressure you feel, whether it's just for Christmas and just getting everything perfect or whatever, would you just come and just bow today? Just allowing the great one to define greatness in your life and recognizing the greatest in God's kingdom will be the least here. Would you stand with us? Would you worship your great king? This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.